Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Mailbag, the final episode of 2023. My name is Damo and joining me as he usually does is Clarky. We've made it, mate. The final episode of the season. How does it feel? We did it. And it's, you know what? It's really good to end on a high. Melbourne have beaten Brisbane by one point in the dying moments of a game of the MCG. And therefore, in my eyes and in this podcast size, have won the premiership. Congratulations to Melbourne. There will be no more football. It was one of those games where if Melbourne lost it, they probably were at risk of falling out of the top four. I think, you know what, I, so on on the uh, the podcast I did with Lech this week, I did say get fucked Brisbane, which is all in good fun, um, but I actually think that Brisbane and Melbourne have reasonably similar issues in relation to the way that they lose games, and in some respects the way that we, that we both win games. It's usually, you know, we have a pretty dominant win, or we somehow scrape across the line, or we do it to ourselves and lose, and... Brisbane's fault of locking up in those last moments while Melbourne put the foot down because we had nothing left to lose is also pretty much exactly what happened in the round two game. So I don't think any, like it was a 25 point swing both ways and then came back to literally the last two minutes of a game. Um, So yeah, Brisbane, Brisbane people, I feel you. We all, we both need new coaches. Yeah. Brisbane, like, People say Brisbane can't play the MCG, but they were playing pretty well, and then they got out to a lead, and instead of building on the lead, they just kind of stopped trying to put the game to bed. But, like, there was seven minutes left when they were four goals up. It was over when they moved Jack Gunston. Like, you can't do that. And as soon as they move Jack Gunston to defense, you know that they're trying to lock the game up, and putting Jack Gunston in defense means they've got no one to kick to. That being said, Jack Viney literally taking the ball out of Oscar McInerney's hands made me erect. Anyway, Supercoach happened as well. <laughs> <laughs> Supercoach did happen. I mean, I wish it didn't happen, but it did happen. Um, people actually had pretty good weeks, like regardless of all of the, you know, carnage that happened. So many people like had to exhaust all of their bench options and put them on the field just to have 22 players. And some people didn't even reach 22 players. You know, I think is very funny. Um, so this season was the first season that I, I encouraged my wife to play Supercoach. And she's been having an okay year. Um, she didn't really want me meddling in her team too much. So I kind of took my hands off and just kind of watch her naturally grow and give her advice when she asked this week uh she said oh i'm gonna put the vc on tim english and then you know i'll put the c on someone else after seeing that game tim english comes out and scores a 173 and she was like nobody's gonna beat that i was like yep i got the vc on english as well you always take 173 there is there is zero reason to ever not take 173 but i did give her the caveat i said i guarantee somehow someone is going to score more than English just because that's how the universe works. And lo and behold, on the Friday night, Max Gorn comes out with a 2.15, which once again, erect. We had Pistol on the on the mailbag last week. Um, he messaged me after that game on Friday, on Friday. Yep. And so it was Friday before the Melbourne-Brisbane game. And... He said, at least we got the English VC correct. 
<laughs> and then at eight, and then and then at ten oh one p.m. Eastern Standard Time, he sent me another message. Spoke too soon. <laughs> correct. And and all I said was English VC was correct. We gave we told people to put the VC on English, and that would have panned out for a lot of people. What what was the questionable part? What was the questionable part was we told people to trade Gorn for English. <laughs> that advice didn't age well. <laughs> Look, you can't predict a fabled two hundred point game you, you just you can't predict that and i'll be honest as well look regardless of what information we gave people i'm gonna go ahead and say it if you were convinced that you were gonna trade gorn you were already gonna do it before we told you to so i'm not taking responsibility for that those that held rewarded in this instance and that's what we love about this beautiful game and at the time, we didn't know that Brody Grundy was going to be dropped. Like there was there was whispers of it, but we, no one actually knew. Oh yeah, pulling back the curtain, listeners. We record before teams because we want to get this out in a timely fashion where you can make your choices based on the information you have. It turns out we're wrong anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Clarky, so this is the final episode of the season. Correct. Um, which means. We probably need to reveal what we're doing at uh, for next season, um, but let's leave that until the end of the podcast because that's how you get people to listen to the whole thing. <laughs> Suckers, Suckers, the lot of you. We'll see you but, at the we'll see you at the end. It's been a very good year. We've had some very good guests. We've had the hipster. We've had the phantom. Great guests. We've had Al Payton. Wonderful. Um, MJ from the coaches panel came on oh, a couple of times. Huge. I love MJ. Super coach with DR came on. What a so, legend. R- rather, DR himself came on. <laughs> we had Janeth Fernando from Supercoach Swordplay. Beautiful man. We had Pato from the Supercoach Co Captains. What a, what a guy. We had Ben from Supercoach Insider. He came on a few times earlier in the season. We yeah, had right. Swizz from Supercoach Insider come on a couple of times. Great man. It's been a good year with some very good guests coming on, all with different angles that they attack Supercoach at. They had different ideas to everyone's questions every single week. And I don't know about you, but I now think about things in other people's mindsets. Like, there will be trades that I think about and I go, what would MJ do? What would Ben say? What would... I'll say what like these like you meet people and you hear their ways of thinking and you kind of bank it all in your head and then now you look at a trade a hundred different ways and it's almost a case of what is the waiting like how bad can this trade be like if I can if I hearing a bad reaction from almost from a more the people than I'm hearing a good reaction from based on what I know these guests would say, maybe it's probably not a good trade. Yeah. And I think we, we know as a community, I think that diversity is really what makes the super coach community great. It's not the, you know, it's not 
necessarily the rivalries or the competitiveness or the ranking or anything like that. It's just the amount of people who have such interesting ways of building their teams, of looking at their trades, of, you know, upgrading their cadence. I mean, like, we yeah, Supercoach Mama, Cam, Pistol, Mini Monk, Benton, the Hipster, all these people are just so different in the way that they approach it. And that's what we love. And that's what makes it really, really fun to collaborate with so many of these people. Whether you take it on, you know, consciously or subconsciously, you, you start to integrate that that new level of thinking and like you said that that new perspective of you know maybe you don't make a mistake that you maybe would have made if you had no input and you know we love that and we'll we'll do that more hopefully at some point but you'll find out at the end of the episode so to thank our guests we have asked a selection of them to send us through some audio of them answering some questions um, to do with their season and also looking towards next season. We're well aware there are six weeks left, but we we weren't going to come back just to do this at the end of the year. So we (laughs) are doing it now. Some answers may find themselves out of date in a few weeks' time. Some might cement themselves more. But... Uh, we've asked Pato, uh, Lekdog, Ben, DR, and MJ to answer these questions. So the first question that we asked was, who was your best starting selection? My best starting pick this year was probably Errol Goulden, considering the value and his keeper status. Special shout-out to Will Setterfield as well, who at his price did a great job early days before getting injured. My best starting pick is easy. Marcus Bontempelli, he was locked into my team from the second team picker opened. Had him in for a huge year, and at time of recording, he's the number one ranked super coach option. Came in relatively underpriced as well at 640-odd K, averaging 128. Has been a regular vice-captain loophole for me. Marcus Bontempelli is definitely my best pick. Best starting pick, probably Zebel and the Setter Goat. Now, I know they didn't last for the whole season, but they definitely got me some a lot of good points early, made some cash, and I was able to move around them. So I definitely enjoyed studying them this year. Now, it's a pretty easy question because I had a terrible starting side. Most of the blokes that I'm looking at now on my screen have actually been traded in, but one bloke that's been there since day dot has been in my captaincy loop basically each and every week. He's only gone under 100 once for the season. We did have to pay up at the start of the year, but it was worth each and every penny, and that's the bond. You just cannot fault this bloke this year. As I mentioned before, very regularly in my loop, I did really catch that nice 182 against Freo. Also got a 164 against the Giants, and isn't it just fantastic when you nail that captain for the week? So, I just cannot go past. And I know he's got some pretty stiff competition from a bloke named Nick Dacos this year, but I think that he's in with a red-hot chance of taking home Charlie this year, and I really hope that he does. I'm a massive fan of the Bond. Has not let me down. An absolute beast of a man. My best starting squad pick this year, I'm probably going to say it's Tim English. 
There was a lot of debate about whether or not you do a set-and-forget structure of English and Marshall. Do you take on a Darcy as their value of Grundy? And is there anything in that mid-range that people liked the look of? But Tim English has not let us down all year. He started over the first six weeks going at an average of 137.8 with a lower score of 131. He's had 10 scores over the year over 130. And his lowest score to date is just 88. If you started with Tim English, you've had a ripping captaincy, vice captaincy option almost every single week. Now, Clarkie, no, there's no secret here. I had a have had a terrible year. <laughs> a lot of my best selections that I currently have, I didn't start. My best starting selection, and this is going to sound very strange, my best starting selection is probably Rory Led. Huh. And... I know what you're thinking. He scored 50 first up. And yeah, that's the was half. <laughs> and was very disappointing after round one. But from round two onwards, he's almost been like a permanent vice-captain-captain option. Yeah, I think that's, that's a fair assessment of his season. We've got here currently, what, four scores below 100, uh, including that 50 from the first game and. You take that from any premium. I think, you know, it's easy to beat yourself up on the price, but the longevity of Rory Laird, who unfortunately this week is under a bit of a wait and see about his shoulder. But um, yeah, I think you're right. I think that's a it's a really good one to cop, you know, cop one bad score for a season of prosperity. It's not, not a bad deal. Who was your best starting pick, Clarky? <sighs> it's... It's hard to decide. I think out of the... I've got Rory Laird. Rory Laird was in my starting side. And as as I agree with you that I'm very happy that I went down that route. Tim English has been super consistent. And, oh, I'm really glad that I've managed to just go, yep, like that one was okay to go with the crowd because there was merit to the reasons why he was picked. But... If I have to be perfectly honest, my favorite and, in my opinion, you know, pick that has paid off the best has been Errol Goulden. I was very hot on this this young man in the preseason of what he could do, and let's be honest, he didn't he didn't set the world on fire, you know, in the first half of the season. He had some really good scores mixed with some okay scores mixed with some okay. What's what's happening there? Uh, is this concern scores, but then he's had multiple games of 150 plus scores, um, including recently. If you, you know, if you include recently, a Richmond 143 as well is pretty close enough, and he's really broken out. Like you know, I've got those bad scores. He's broken out and he's firing on all cylinders. So I'm very happy that I stuck with him. The next question that we asked was, what pick surprised you the most? The pick that surprised me the most this year was probably Jack Bytel, who actually looked really good in a midfield role tagging Caleb Sarong in round one, all to be dropped, play a handful of games as sub, and then find himself in Ross Lyon's doghouse. Not the last that will end up in that doghouse. 
Harry Sheasel surprised me a little as well. He played about 15 minutes at halfback in preseason against Richmond after being drafted as a midfielder and ended up being a semi-primo for us in the in that halfback role. The pick that surprised me the most this year was actually not a primo, not a underpriced guy or as in a, you know, a 200k guy that missed all of last year. It was actually Liam Stocker who wasn't super duper cheap and I didn't really want in my team but it sounded like St Kilda were actually going to use him and he said he was going to buy into playing the defense in the defense so I gave him the option I put him in my team this point of the year is averaging 68 but I traded him out in round 11 where he was averaging 75.3 points per game he had a high of a 103 at a low of a 58 but most of his scores for the year at that point we're in the mid-70s, and he was a really valuable valuable contributor. I was able to have him on field over some of the, the other rookies that other people had, Campbell Chesser, etc. So he was a super-duper value pick for me, one I was very, very happy with and very, very surprised with. I, I sort of put him in the last minute and just didn't expect anything, but he's been very, very good. The player that surprised me the most probably... I'd say Dacos as far as I didn't have him in my team initially and he's just gone gangbusters, brought him in round three because I had to and he just has not let up. Him and Goulden. Now, Goulden you know, had a really good preseason game and I thought I'm going to pick him because he's fairly highly owned, but he has not disappointed with some of his high ceiling games. I think he has definitely surprised me as well. What prick, what prick jeepers. I can't edit this. What pick <laughs> surprised you most? This was a bit of a hard one, but again, if I look at my side here, I can see sitting at D2, Big Kizza, Big Kizza Briggs. Now, I traded him in hoping for a bit of a quick cash grab, planning on trading him out just before his buy, but I'll tell you what, in the end, I decided to hold this bloke. Super surprising. I was hoping that, hey, if you can average 80, that'd be nice. Flip him, get another bloke in. Happy days, hunky-dory. But his scores for the year, 109, 102, 128, 114, 129. Has slowed up in the last three with an 87, 107. And his lowest score of the year last week with a 79. But all in all, his season average is 107. So what do I pay for him? 254K. What an absolute bargain. If you can pay that much for your R2, then you are absolutely laughing. So the pick that most surprised me this year, I, I know it sounds crazy to mention it now, but Nick Dacos getting to the territories where he is to be at time of recording, averaging 123.8 to be the far and above best super coach defender in the game. It, it's just unheard of for second year players. Yes. We've seen Clayton Oliver's and Nat Fife's and Jackson McRae types all turn into premiums in their second seasons, but not at this tier, not at this level. So is it surprising that Nick Dacos has been a good super coach player for us this year? No, but at this tier and level that we find him right now, absolutely. The third highest scorer in the game, the fourth highest averaging player in the game. I knew Dacos would be good. But I'm surprised and pleasantly surprised as an owner with just how good he has been. Which pick surprised you the most, Clarky? I think it would have to be my the starting pick that surprised me the most was Will Satterfield. Um, back when he was in my team, obviously rip in peace, 
Will Setterfield. Um, but he started out pretty pretty consistently for someone who we kind of took a punt on. Um, we really didn't know what to expect from the Esther midfield and how much mid-time he was going to get. And he was really serviceable. He made his cash quickly. And I think I turned him into Marcus Bontempelli or Lockie Neal looking at my team now pretty quickly because of that. See, the pick that surprised me the most, and this is probably going to be, this is a sad surprise. No, sad surprise. I started Nat Fife. Oh. And I wasn't, and I wasn't expecting to pay three hundred thousand dollars for someone who was going to come out and average one hundred and twenty again. But I wasn't expecting him to have fallen off the cliff as far as he had. He was like, I only had him for the one game at the beginning of the season, so I'm only technically able to answer this question. But when he came back, he struggled to even score sixties, and like. This is a dual Brownlow medalist who has plied his trade in the midfield. He's averaged 120. Like, he's never been a durable guy. So he wasn't someone that we would have been able to keep or or rely on long term. But the fact that he's over the cliff that far, that he can't even get 60s now or stay on the park to get 60s, I think, it's a, I think that's what surprised me the most. I think that was a sad surprise. Yeah, I think as well, it's going to be even sadder when Justin Longmuir at, at some point gets his big cartoon gun and old yellers him. I think, see, when Nat Fife's injured, he's always on the bench talking to the players. He's either or in the box re- relaying messages down to the down to Justin Longmuir, who's, who's on the bench. Like, they usually swap. So I think that he's got a role at the club even after his playing days. It's just a matter of how quickly that comes because he has signed a contract extension. So they obviously think that he can get back to where is serviceable for the team. But who knows how long until he decides that it's the end and he needs to move on to something else. Heaven, yeah. Football heaven. Football heaven. Who is your first pick in 2024? My first pick for 2024 is probably Disco Dacos, assuming he holds on to defense status next year. My first picked player in 2024. It's easy to say some of these primos, your Dacos, your Bonds, etc. I'm actually going to be looking for value. I think that's what set me up to succeed this year was value points on field. I'm looking through the players that have missed this year. Zach Williams, this year came in at 425k. Obviously, he's been out for the year. Next year, he'll come in sub 400k. Be very cheap for a best 22 player that has upside, obviously injury risk. And Nick Natanui, again, missed all of this year. He'll come in at sub 500k. I think finding value on field is important. Ignat might not be the one, but I think Zach Williams is certainly an option for my first picked player next year. First picked in 2024 has to be Tim English. If he stays fit and healthy and plays every round this season, he's hard to ignore because I can't see any other ruck around him that's going to give me the same output, whereas there's a lot of value in a lot of other lines, I think. I did say that the Bond had some pretty stiff competition to take home the Brownlow this year. 
And I'm taking home his competitor next year, absolutely starting with this bloke, probably my first lock, and that's going to be Nick Dacos. Now, I'm assuming that he's obviously going to have defensive status. We know that the forward line is going to be really, really bare next year with blokes like Taranto, Dunkley, etc., being pure midfielders. So the fact that we can hopefully select this bloke in our back lines next year is absolutely phenomenal. He, again, just really hasn't failed this year. A couple of rounds in seven and eight, he went a 72 and an 81. But if you take a look back right from round one, 129, 149, 109, 151, 128, 145, started like a house on fire, currently playing like a house on fire as well. Season average of almost 124. This bloke is in prime condition and he will be, I think, a generational player. So my... Look, maybe it's recency bias. And to be honest, it's kind of hard not to be when you score 215. But my first picked for 2024 on the provision that Brody Grundy moves on from the Melbourne Football Club will be to start Max Gordon. At time of recording, priced at an average of 101, which we know is 20 points of value already. So if... Brody Grundy moves on and Gorn goes back to Sol Ruck. He's not going 200 every week, but we know 115, 120. I think he can emulate the style of season that Tim English has given us this year. If it's not him, it's probably Took. Injuries made it hard for him this year. You could probably throw a Callum Mills or even a Sam Walsh in there, but if I was to pick one, and to go a bit different on the provision that Grundy is moved on from the club, then I'm going to find it very hard not to pick him first. Also, Harley Reid, really good. Who is your first pick in 2024? The easy answer is Nick Dacos, isn't it? But is that the best answer? Yes. Yeah, you're right. Nick, Nick, <laughs> da- Nick Dacos is the first pick in 2024. Followed closely by Tim English. I'm keeping a close eye on the ruck merry-go-round because okay. if Port Adelaide get rid of Lyset and Tekel and Hayes and trade in Jordan Sweet as their number one ruck we could have an R2 less than 200k who could average 80 I can't believe that we're discussing this early hey I've got this my is ear- usually February discussion <laughs> Hey, I've got my ear to the ground, and I'm not saying that this is a done deal, but there's been too many reports about it for it not to be something to talk about. Yeah, fair enough. So, Clarky, your answer is Nick Dacos? Yeah, followed closely by Tim English. Okay, very good. Well, actually, sorry, I don't know if I'm going to be allowed to pick Nick Dacos because we don't pick players over 700k, and he is definitely going to be top price for the year. No, no, I think you definitely picked Nick Dacos. Uh, and the fourth question that we asked, the, which was the last question of the bunch, was which player will you be less inclined to pick next season? I feel like we all say this every year, but the player or players I'll be less inclined to pick next year are the ones who always end up missing time through injury. Guys like Doherty, Darcy, Callum Mills, those sort of guys. Targeting the value without the injury risk is absolutely key. I don't have a specific player off the top of my head that I don't want to pick next season. I stuck to my guns this year and I didn't pick any defenders above 600k. In fact, I didn't pick any above 550k. 
I said the same about forwards. I think in most cases, the player's price is going to rein in from that starting 600K. So I'm going to avoid basically all of those players. If you have to press me for someone specific to avoid, oh, that's tough. That's tough. I'm going to say Clayton Oliver. I don't know why. I probably will pick him, but theory being, all right, now we've seen that he actually isn't human. Is this injury, this continuing injury, the beginning of the end? We may not actually know how he returns before next season. We'll be playing on hope, history, and reports that he's had a strong preseason. He might be one that we need to watch. The player I'm less inclined to pick, probably Ridley. Um, I thought he was going to break out this season to the Ridley of old, but with Redmond and a few of these other you know, coaching changes as far as role and the rest of it, I will not start him next year or ever again. Now, this hurts because I absolutely love this bloke and he's been great for us, maybe not last year, but definitely last couple of years before that. And it's the man of steel, Jack Steele. Now, unfortunately, I had to take his symbol away on the stock market video. I just could not give him the super coach cape. Hey, the week after goes 140 plus and then gives us a 105 last week. But all in all, this has been extremely disappointing. Only hit the ton four times. We know what his strengths are. He's a beast. He's a tackler. Contested pill. Just so super strong. But the 2023 version of Jack Steele isn't quite like that. Ross wanted the Saints to be a running side. Steele has lost a lot of weight, lost a lot of that bulk, and lost a lot of that strength. So... I'm not up for a Jack Steele that isn't in there contesting the peel and absolutely dominating that contested possession and tackling like a madman. A slight comeback, as I mentioned, over the last two, but all in all, a bit of a failed season for the man of Steele. I'm hoping he can come back and sell St. Kilda supporters, but yeah, at this stage, we'll not be considering him next year, and that hurt. One player I'm less inclined to select in 2024, especially in my starting squad, is Tim Taranto. He's been stunning for us this year in the forward lines and outside of a Dunkley, Goulden, Rosie, Butters, he's been the best forward for us this year. His consistency of scoring and some ceiling that a lot of us didn't predict to come has been evident. But for me, as a midfield-only option, I don't see him ascending to the heights of the big scorers in Supercoach. And I'm talking about guys that have 120 potential. Bontempelli, Oliver, Dacos, Dunkley, Petrarca, Dawson, Merritt, Liberatore, Laird. I'd still probably put Neil ahead of him. Gosh, even the potential of young stars like Goulden, LDU, even a Noah Anderson and Tuke Miller. And oh, why not another? Even Callum Mills or Jack Steele. These are a bunch of names that I all think are comparable or better, either in scoring potential or value on the dollar in contrast to Tim Taranto. And so as brilliant as he's been for us this year, we need to enjoy these next few weeks of 2023 because in 2024, he's a mid only. And I just can't see a narrative of him getting 120 consistently and especially picking him at a potential top-end price when we'll have great value through the mids from premium proven performers, let alone the guys that have done it big in 2023. So 
Sorry, Double T. I love you. You've been great for me this year, but I'm not really that inclined to pick you next year. And this is quite easy for me. I'm not picking any St. Kilda (laughs) player next year. Yeah, if Ross Lyon's still there, avoid him. Jack Sinclair, see ya. Put him in the bin. Um, I'll probably avoid Stephen Canelio as well. And Tom Green. Yeah, I mean... Stephen Canelio will lose his forward eligibility, and that was probably the most attractive mm-hmm. part of him this season. Next season, he'll probably be mid-only, and that probably removes the most attractive aspect of Yeah, I'm going to go back to being sad selection. and picking Josh Kelly. If he could stay on the park, he he's would just, be an amazing pick. He's got the ceiling. Pick. But the thing is, you can't trust his body. He's one of those players who is the perfect <laughs> bench option. But he's but you're never going to get. But he's always 600k at the wrong yeah. time of the year. Agreed. Clarky, should we get into some community yeah, let's questions? Do it. Some viewer let's questions. Do, let's do some listener one questions. more set of questions for the year. This is your question, Christmas, Super Coach listeners. The first question comes from Benno. Benno, you always support you always support the podcast, Thanks, and we love you for that. He says, "Thanks for an entertaining year, gentlemen. Amazing content. Do we have any further information on Dcam, or is he, and is he or Zebel worth burning my last trade? We don't have any further information than we had last week for either of those players. But Decam was only slated to miss one week with his back injury. I don't know if it's worth using a trade on. Yeah, I'd probably hold hold steady unless there's other news that comes out tomorrow or Friday. Um, just keep an eye on it. But I think generally they made it pretty clear that he was only going to miss the one game, Darcy Cameron. So, yeah, like... Hold fast. And his second question, two. he's asked two. What are some great budget buys in the 350 to oh, 500k range? He hasn't mentioned a position, so we can look at a lot of players. And when I say a lot of players, it's... Damn, I've got some prices right showcase music um, in the background here. Sam Flanders. I'm just moving the just moving the sliders up and down just to see. Now that Stuart Do is in football heaven, uh, where he belongs. Sam Flanders is 427k. Scored 125 points in round 18. Had a really nice roll. There's a three-round average of 111.7. I like that. That's good. That's good diddlyhood. Uh, Graham Myers is playing a very messy-like performance. Uh, it's got 120, uh, three-round average of 108.3, but will occasionally score a game of like 30. Let me put forth to you Daniel Rioli at $486,000. He scored 129 against West Coast. 
and 95 against Brisbane two weeks beforehand and 103 and 91 against St. Kilda and Fremantle, respectively. He's averaging 95 on the dot for the year and has a five-round average of <laughs> 95. That's good. I like Consistent. that. Uh, who else we got? Uh, the ooh, I don't like that. No, no, not Luke Shuey. Uh, Will Powell, one hundred and three three round average, uh, has the ability to score over a hundred, but he's a fun pick. He's not a good pick, but he's a fun one. Seems to be benefiting uh, when he's got the specific role that he doesn't always have. But once again, Stuart Do gone out the window. And uh, Naziah Wanganin Malera is still under 500k. He's not going to blow the roof off the joint, but he seems to be the only St. Kilda player actually (laughs) playing football at the moment. Uh, That's... I think that covers some good options for you, Ben. Toby Green is a fun pick. Take your pick. I'm just going to throw it in there. He could score like 300. He could score like Until 300 he gets points suspended. one week just because. True. Until he Hasn't gets suspended. Yet. Still time, though. Yeah, being know. captain has kind of changed him up, and I kind now, of like it. Kind of. He's got a weird face, though. His cheeks okay. are too big for his head. Next Have you question. not noticed this? Anyway, sorry. Clarky, we're moving on. Next question comes from Fraser. His question says, I'm in a caretaker role for my late grandfather's team. Wanted some advice. He's got 110k in the bank, four trades left, and full primo. But Sheasel is on the field. Is it worth luxury trading Sheasel? Or two trades, OMAC to English, or holding all together. Really sorry to hear about your grandfather passing, and definitely send my best wishes to you and your family in a difficult time. Uh, look, trades are worth their weight in gold at this time. Having Oscar McInerney isn't great, but is serviceable. And same thing with Sheasel. So I think... Probably making a call here on doing Oscar McInerney, 112 last round, had has a decent run-ish. Like, he's got Geelong, which isn't going to be good, but it's at the Gabba, so that's kind of good. Then they've got Gold Coast, uh, Frio, Adelaide, Collingwood, St. Kilda. Uh, I, it's hard for me to not like Harry Sheasel, though. But I think he's... I think mm. you hold Sheasel, and I'm not against holding Omac either. He hasn't had an awful year, but it depends who's on the field with him. If it's Omac and Ro- and yeah. and Rowan Marshall, then you definitely need to get English. If it's Omac and Gorn, yeah, okay. I think he can hold. If it's Omac and Briggs. You probably need to move one or the other to English. You're probably going to get similar results from OMAC and Briggs yeah. for, the, for the rest of the year. So I think it depends who you've got in that second position. If it's OMAC and Wits, 
you probably hold again. Yeah. Okay, I agree with that. So, hopefully that gives you an answer, Fraser. Sorry for your loss. Our next question comes from Peter. He says, greetings from Carmel, Indiana. That's it. Clarky, we're His question is options and timing for final premium defender trade. He can make a couple of trades to bring in a bubble rookie and one primary defender. If he trades this week, rather, I forgot if I'm reading this in his voice or my voice. If I trade this week, I can bring in either Houston or Ryan, or I could wait on Sicily to fall in value. I already have Dacos, Stewart, Dawson, Sinclair, and Day. What do you think about Houston, Ryan, Sicily, or other options? Thanks. I think Dan Houston at all cost. Get, get yeah, him. Yeah, that makes the most sense to me, and it gets you to your full premium defender. Uh, that, that's probably what I would do. If it were me, and the quicker you can f- make you can finish your team, the faster your team is going to rise up the rankings. If it's not already there, so I think get Houston while he's got his hot hand, while he's on his run, while he's in his purple patch. Uh, Luke Ryan with Brandon Walker now injured. I don't know what role Luke Ryan will have. He might have to play on small forwards or rotate onto small forwards, which would probably affect his scoring. And people have worked out. If you put your athletic medium forward on James Sicily, James Sicily can't score points. Yep. A bit of a throwback to, was it last year that we were asked this question? Supercoach Mama asked us in one of our very first episodes, who has the best hair in the AFL? We were pretty unanimous in saying Alex Pierce, although you put in an honorable mention for Ben Brown yeah. when he had his sideshow hairstyle. I, I think, I think there's, there's a, a challenge couple of now. challenges. So, Supercoach Mama specifically wanted to draw our attention to a picture of of um, Ocean Mullins um, playing with his hair untied at the Geelong Cats training. And his locks are it's, flowing. It's honestly beautiful. It's I think Alex Pierce is in trouble. It's giving it's giving power metal. It's giving hardcore rock on vibes and I love that. Uh so we'll 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 tweet this photo. I think I think he's in Go trouble. Go look at it. We're tagged in it. I think I think he's in trouble, but I also think that we should talk about some other ooh, haircuts ooh, as well. Is see, we we watch The Simpsons. You know Wendell from The Simpsons. Yeah, you know I'm, that I'm aware of Wendell. White yes. kid from The Simpsons. Do we do we reckon Tim English has that haircut? Oh, Jesus. Yes, he does. Kind of? I, I, I don't know if that's the best hair in the AFL, but I think it's the most impressive I, hair look, in the AFL. While I 
I see your Wendell, and I raise you, Will Ashcroft. This man legitimately looks like Prince, Prince? Charming from Shrek 2. And it's insane. Yes. I just yeah. There are some challenges. Alex Pierce has some challenges. And we've got Bailey Smith's mullet as well. That's gotten longer. That's Very now good. like halfway down his back. That's I'd like impressive. to also raise one uh have we got like we've got like Hall of Fame haircuts, so it's the Hall of Losers haircuts. Because I want to talk about Rory Love. Rory Love, what are you doing? Dye your hair again. You're just like a normal man now with your regular coloured hair and you went for years having the, the blonde top or whatever the hell you were doing. At least you were interesting then. Diet back. I know you listen. Enemy of the show. I'd, I, I would argue that Rory Lobb was never interesting. <laughs> but anyway, let's not, let's not talk about Rory Lobb. Do you want to know who has a good hairstyle? Tom Liberatore. Especially... And he pairs it with the mustache. He looks good. <laughs> I, I always forget what I what I am and aren't allowed to say on on the podcast, but I definitely will say Tom Lipatori's haircut definitely looks like a man who has possibly seen some illicit substances in his lifetime. <laughs> he looks well. No one really knows what he did after that 2016 <laughs> grand final because we saw pictures flowing through where he was in Europe at some stage and then he was suiting up in Bali for a football team and then he was somewhere else randomly. It, I just, yeah, I just don't know if, um, yeah, I just don't know if he... I, but no one really knows where he went after the 2016 <laughs> Grand Final. That, that, that's all I'm going to say. Uh, Let's just say he had the time of his life after winning that flag. And why wouldn't you? Yeah, absolutely. I'd also like to put in uh, a honourable mention to Zach Tui. Uh, because obviously he had his milestone game recently, uh, overtaking Jim Steins, which is absolutely wonderful for you know the legacy of Irish players. And Zach Tui is a... A wonderful man. I think he's had a very significant glow up during his AFL career to the point where he is currently one of one of those AFL players that's just so distinctive, so cool. Like you look at him, you go like, Yeah, yeah, this is a guy. Like this is this is a good dude. I love this dude. Really good boy energy, and I want to give him an honorable mention. So there you have it. Football players with good hair. That's all the questions for today. Before we end off, we should run through our vice captain and captain for the week. Clarky, Essendon face Western Bulldogs at Marvel Stadium on Friday night. And my vice captain is probably playing in that game. In fact, you'd say 99.9% sure he's playing in that game unless something happens that yeah, we Zach should not Mar- speak about. Oh, Mark I was like, <laughs> there's a lot of options in this game because I think Tim English could also be worth a selection depending on what's the current state of the Essendon Rock situation. Is uh, Sam Draper still dead? 
Phillips is Phillips is no longer suspended. Draper is still dealing with a back injury. Zach, yeah, Zach with a back injury. Sure, a back injury, and Zach Bryan exists for some reason. So yeah, possible team English. Yeah, Bont team English. Zach Merritt probably in that order uh, would be my three from this game. And if you like really don't care about your team anymore, Tom Liberatore as a vice captain as well like is also an option. Like, Tom Liberatore, he's he's been doing it this year. Like another one forty nine this week, just gone. He's he's thriving. Can we talk about that just for a second? Like against Sydney, he had like six disposals in like the first six seconds, including the opening absolutely. Goal. Like I don't, I don't understand this. It just out of out of nowhere, and if you're an owner, pat yourself on the back. You did a, did a good job this year. If you started him, that's a good that's a good start. I didn't Great start him, but I traded him in. I talked uh, myself. Moving into on him. from that, I think Dunkley or Neil. I'm going Dunkley yeah. against the Cats at the Gabba. Yeah, I think that's smart. And I. And I don't really have a backup option if, if after that. Yeah, I mean, Errol Goulden has just been getting it done. Uh, Nick Dacos against Port. Port don't really tag, do they? Not as far as I'm aware. I've never noticed it. And Darcy Byrne Jones will miss with concussion as well. So their tag, so their primary tagging option for that halfback role is not playing either so yeah that could be another option gold coast nothing there really uh melbourne crows petrarca gorn against riley o'brien maybe uh rory laird but he if you and if you're desperate rowan marshall against tristan i'd probably be concerned about rory laird or jordan dawson they might get sparrow or possibly like a Viney type running on them, uh, one of them for this game, just to sort of keep them quiet. Cause there's no, no Rochelle for this game either. So there's no, there's no real other option. So it's going to be one of them is going to cop it. So maybe get your captain in earlier. Yeah, we did it. All right. So next year, it's already been revealed that Lechdog and Patch will no longer be creating content for people to read and listen to. Yeah. Clarky, the mailbag will continue, but not in the format that That's it's right. currently in. We live, bitches, but there will be some changes. There will be some changes. So... This podcast has sort of acted as maybe a like a window into what we're going to be talking about. Um, it's going to be a football supercoach podcast where we kind of talk about both sides of the coin um, and we will have our own handle on Twitter. In fact, we already have our own handle on Twitter that you can go and follow at footy mailbag. Um, and we will continue to promote that as the season winds down and as the preseason gets close. But the mailbag will continue. Guests yep. will continue. 
It's just going to be a case of we're not going to be doing it for John. Yeah, Reynolds we're striking anymore. out on our own. Uh, it's going to be Damon Clarky, not under the Jock Reynolds umbrella. Uh, I think it's also important that we note that Damon and I will still be producing content in some form uh, outside of the mailbag as well. Um, you know, I, I'm currently in the the works for another show, so keep an eye out for that. Um, that I will be producing maybe later this year or early next year. Uh, Demo, I know that you as well are going to be doing things through your channels, uh, and we would love it if you know if you can come along and support us through that because yeah, we've Jock Reynolds is really you know I suppose we'll get into like the slight mushy stuff, but you know I'd like to thank all you listeners and especially to Demo, Patch, and Lek as well as Baron for really giving me my time at Jock Reynolds because it's been super special. Like I've met these guys and these guys are like my second family and we've got all of you great listeners and it's, it's so wonderful. And we would love if you can come and continue the journey with us. Yeah. So looking back, I am so proud of my time at Jock Reynolds. Um, I would like to thank everyone involved Lek dog patch uh for giving me a platform to talk footy cricket and hashtag <laughs> brace breakout i and i feel very humbled to learn what effect i've had on the community in my in my short time with the website i've only been with the website three three or four years maybe longer i, think it's longer it might have been longer I, than I that. am only at year three now and you were here when i was a listener Yeah, wow. <laughs> Been there longer than I thought. But yeah, words words can't describe how much love and gratitude mm. I have for everyone who has supported and interacted with the content that I've been a part of. Uh, moving forward, and Clarky already alluded to this, I've decided to venture into doing my own content, which involves a YouTube channel where I'll be documenting my season, um, as well as this mailbag that we have talked about pre- before. Um, but yeah, it means I'll no longer be producing content for Jock Reynolds and I'm excited for what that means moving forward. Um, and we will provide updates in due course. We love you community. I love you, Damo. Patch, Lechdog, Baron, all the Jock Reynolds guys who listen, I love you too. If you'd like to get involved with the mailbag next season, go and follow us on Twitter at footy mailbag. And you can still send us questions for us to answer over Twitter. If you really want us to, but until next season, we'll talk next time. <laughs>